Welcome to the Zanzizi Podcast. That's right. It's yours truly, Rad Dead 2023. I'm gathered in the Rad living room. This is another episode of the Garage Band series where I'm interviewing people I know. People. Yeah, that's right. I know this guy. No, uh, this guy is an incredible musician, producer, sound engineer touring guy jack of many trades a philly boy mr jeff ziegler i met a long time ago in the year i load 2005 i reviewed his band's first ep relay ep and i was blown on my buttocks i still am the song in the beginning spanned arc and round song called hollowed almost said that wrong my bad but anyways it's great you should check it out links in the description this is our interview there will be a youtube video on the youtube channel zanzizi podcast on youtube but jeff is a great guy and gracious with his time he allowed me to listen to and talk his eardrum off about Cronenberg at the end there. But he's a great guy, and I highly recommend you check out his website, uniformrecording.com. Hit him up if you're in the area for recordings. He is unbelievably talented. He's worked with Kurt Vile, Sunny Day in Glasgow, War on Drugs, nothing. His band, Ark and Round, is amazing. It's on all streaming, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Also, Relay, highly recommend you check them out. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. Ziegler about his time in music, what got him interested, and how he records. You got a drink? You good to go? Yeah. Sweet. Well, um, I'm really, really excited to have you on, Jeff. It's been a minute. I think the last time I saw you, you were here playing with Ark and Round. Uh, yes. Yes. That had to be over a decade ago, I think, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate, I hate it when it comes to that sort of stuff, and I have to think back and be like, fuck. It was a decade ago, but then again, like I'm not. I I, I know we, we played a show at a little our little dinky hole in the wall bar slash uh, uh, watering hole, and then afterwards you guys stayed and we hung out. And I remember specifically we um, we started recording in progress. Sorry, I had to make sure that was going. Uh, we. Uh, essentially we came back to my place and we hung out and watched YouTube videos until about three in the morning. Many, many a beverage was partaken, but I really, um, I really got to know you specifically because at, in, uh, 2005, I was living in Maine and I, I don't do this anymore, but at the time I considered myself a bit of a writer and I was doing reviews for a site called Transform Online and I would get just tons and tons of CDs, which was 
cool. At the time I was a sponge. So I was like super stoked to get a bunch of music. And I got this little EP at the time from a band called Relay. And I remember specifically thinking like, okay, whatever, like just throwing it in. Cause I, there's quite a bit of, I mean, it was hit or miss with these, these CDs, but I, I adored this EP. Like I, I, at the time it was like, literally played all the time. I still listen to it occasionally because it's on Spotify. I think the full length is on Spotify. Um, but um, I I loved it. Like I gave it like a whatever would have been a five star A plus. Like it was amazing. So you're, you're one of the uh, a huge early proponent, definitely. Totally. It, was, it, was, it still is. Um, but yeah, at the time it was like, uh, you know, it's always tough starting at, you know, starting a band and like putting a record out and like not knowing what kind of response you're going to get. And then like, you know, seeing some like really something really positive that also, you know, I think seemed uh, like generally aware of, of what we were trying to do was really nice. So thanks. Oh no. Thank you. I mean, I, we, uh, I, I think it was about 2007 ish cause I kept up with what you were doing at the time. And I drove, you guys played a show in either Indiana or like, like along the border of Michigan or something like that. But me and a buddy who I turned on to your band was like, let's do it. Let's drive. Let's go see these guys. I really want to see them live. And you guys were fucking awesome. It was a weird bill. If I remember, it was like five or six bands and you guys were sandwiched kind of in the middle, but we were so stoked to hear you guys live and you were great. During the daytime by any chance? It might have been. I just know that I think I pulled one of the posters off the wall because you guys were on it, and I was like, I'm taking this. It might have been when we toured with the uh, Olympic system, if you remember those guys. That's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I was in, uh, God, not Lansing. Uh, I feel like it was somewhere near Flint, Michigan. You're right. You're right. It wasn't, it wasn't, I, I, I wanted to say Ann Arbor before, but I think you're right. I think it was like Flint. Um, (laughs) back in the day, my friend. So like, what, uh, what's your history? Like, as far as that, like, were you in bands for a long time before you did relay or was it just, um, kind of a thing? Like, were you a recording guy before that? Or Uh, I guess my, my head shake doesn't translate. Um, (laughs) I played guitar when I was a kid. I'll try to make this (laughs) quick. Quicker than it could be. Uh, since no. my guitar was in for years, I just like skateboarded forever. And for some reason, I couldn't do both. Um, and uh, then picked it up again in college because I had a friend who uh, uh, knew, like, played a lot of the same taste. And he said, like, you know how to play like Dinosaur Jr. and like, I don't know, Blues Explosion and like, Team Dresh, like all over the map. But, you know, stuff that I really loved. And I was like, man, I should start playing guitar again. And uh, so at the same time, I started taking a recording class. And that recording class had two four tracks that we could uh, like take out generally whenever we wanted because there were only like ten people in the class, so was, and, and nobody was really like you know competent fit for the four tracks. So I get that in like an SM58 and uh, just set it up in my dorm room and like play guitar and record at the same time. I also had a drum machine, uh, an old Lisa's thing, and so I would use that and then the guitar and then like you know do a lot of stuff like like a lot of backwards recording, just trying to learn stuff, you know, about the process, but also like having no real, uh, 
fundamental grounding. So I did a lot of kind of weirder stuff. There's a time in which I uh, put a slowed down toilet through a flanger because I thought it would sound good. <laughs> and that's just anything about anything. But I would still do that today. <laughs> hey, you know what? I mean, you can, it's interesting. Like, it, you know, we, uh, my band, my current band, we, we, uh, we had a bucket list of things. On. I've always wanted to record with you too. Like eventually one day I, I, I will, but, um, trying out new things is always like the thing, right? I mean, experimenting with pedals is kind of a thing a lot of guitar players do, but like, you know, just trying to dial in your own sound. And that was really what I, what I loved about your music. And I still love about your music specifically, um, is that it didn't sound like everything else that I was listening to. Like I knew what it was adjacent to, but your voice, I always, I, I think one of the, I, as much as I loved the guitar tones, I loved your voice the probably the most of any of the singers. Cause you had kind of like a, it, it sounded authentic if that makes any sense. And like that can be tricky when it comes to, to, to rock and rock bands or whatever you want to call it. But like specifically had a, had a flavor all its own. And I, I just, I dug it. So, um, before I realized that I sing better, like higher, you know, like pitch wise, because back then I would sing, I was probably like, I don't know, three or four notes further off than I should have been. But in a way, it kind of worked because that. Well, it blends with the guitar. the The guitar noise is just right, and and you can tell like um, pretty early on too with that music, and even in Ark and Round, and there was this um, way that your voice would would uh, would blend so well with like shimmery guitars and synths and stuff. And now. At the time, you with Relay, did you set out to start a band, or was it like a thing where I was like, okay, well, I could, I'll write these songs and just kind of go with it? Or I think initially I started out just kind of doing a bigger version of what I was doing with a four track in college, where I just like, and I had a sixteen track like real real, and like I had a you know a loft space in Philly, and uh, just making recordings and just learning you know, more and more about how to write and like ways to like manipulate, you know, music. Um, and I wasn't, I mean, I, I think I wanted to start a band to some extent, but I wasn't like seeking anyone out. And then, uh, I met our drummer, Gerard, mm-hmm. uh, who's working at a coffee shop in uh, old city, Philadelphia, which is like nice kind of like, uh, you know, historical area. Anyway, he was working and he, uh, it was such a name drop. It was kind of funny. He was like, you know, you look a lot like my friend Jeremy Barnes. <laughs> and I knew who that was, randomly enough. He was like the drummer for a Neutral Milk Hotel, and he had Hawk and Hacksaw. He actually drummed for a broadcast at 1.2. Oh, nice. But it was just like one of those things that like how would, you know, really random that I knew about that. And then we just started talking, and he's like, yeah, I'm a drummer, and like, you know, got his info. And, uh, and we started playing together, and then it got to a point where it was like, all right, how much? And we played a few shows like that. It's just a two-piece, and um, we could fill the space because Gerard's kind of an insane drummer, and uh, you know I can make a lot of noise. Um, so yeah, but then it, I ultimately realized I wanted like something, you know, like a band that could fully play the stuff that I was working on. Um, so it kind of just evolved into that. Um, but I actually I've never thought about it before, but I can kind of give Gerard credit for that. That's um, cool. 
Yeah, I don't know if it would have happened otherwise. Um, maybe at some point. But Are you now when you filled out the band now, I remember specifically it was Mikhail Mikhail or the, the the your female she was playing key keyboards and then you had I guess I, I'm trying to remember all their names specifically. Um, the I remember hitting off really well with the drummer when we hung out at my place afterwards. Sorry, Ark and Round or Relay? Ark and Round. Yeah, it was Matt. Okay, Hold Matt. Me. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was the one that was like turning me on to all these like really insane YouTube video wormholes. Very funny guy. Um, but uh, so you had you had a four piece. And then um, was now I, I never got to ask you this, so forgive me if it's on a podcast and it's awkward. But was relay and arc and round? Was it just like I, I'll just change the name because whatever, or was it like a natural thing? Or that's actually a good question because like I think I was too much of like a, a baby to like. I was really frustrated with how things were with were with relay and like. Um, you know, I didn't really want to play music with Gerard anymore. Um, you know, we were good friends, but it was time to move on. And he just seemed like he wasn't that into it anymore. And he started his own band. So it was just like kind of time to cut the cord. And then like, I don't know, I didn't really know what else to do. I felt like I couldn't kick him out of the band. Um, so I actually just stopped making music for like a couple of years almost. Mm-hmm. With like Twilight Sad and Frightened Rabbit as like a, manager and uh, sound guide and that was you know uh, taking up a lot of my time and I you know by the time I got back to wanting to work on music and having the time to do so I uh, I just felt like you know we were be- I felt at that point like uh, and this is kind of a stupid mentality I, I think in hindsight but we're just incorrect um, <laughs> like, I think it might be nice to have like a fresh start and like you know yeah have a new you know, it's going to be a little different than musically, uh, but not a lot. You know, it's still a variation, I guess, on the same like aesthetic. And uh, so it felt important to me to, like, just uh, make a distinction. And, uh, you know, I don't... I had its blessings and its, its uh, uh, drawbacks, for sure. Um, but it was, I think, definitely... I wanted to have, like, a kind of a more drastic change at that point. Well, I find it, I don't know, and maybe I'm just trying to relate, but I mean, two things. One, I, you know, ultimately sometimes it can be easier to have a blank page than a crowded notebook. Uh, There's more freedom in that. And two, I wanted to mention too, you mentioned with Gerard, you know, saying you look like uh, the drummer from Neutral Milk Hotel. I had the same thing happen to me with the guitar player who was with me when we went and saw you guys play. I was like, damn, that guy looks like Jack White. Or like Jack White and Ken Andrews. Maybe he plays guitar too. Let's fucking jam. So I mean, it looks kind of do. I mean, it's it's like you you can tell the guys who who have beers. You know, <laughs> the guys who like craft beer and fucking dogs a whole lot. You know, you can see them coming a mile away. So there's there's a bit of that. It's not necessarily a stereotype you want to live in and and breathe and think every time you see somebody. But you can kind of get a feel for people, I guess. Um, it's also like a good, just uh, a good intro point for people. Like you know, if one of you's a musician, you know, and you're trying to feel out of the other person is like, I don't know, I can't think of much of a better way to you know, feel it than like be like, you know what, you look like X person that you maybe don't look like, but still, 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you, so you, you went on and you mentioned tour managing. I actually think it was you of all, you know, I, I, we've been friends and like, we've always been cordial and you're super sweet. And I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. I, I, I've always, I've followed what you've been up to. And like, I'm one of those people, like, I just want to support my friends and you super talented guy. And you mentioned tour managing, but also obviously you have uniform recording that you do. It was tour managing uh, an option or a thing that you had a goal or was it just something like, Hey, I I know these guys, I know what they need to sound like live. Uh, no. Well, so the tour managing and the doing sound are, they're like pretty distinctly different jobs that I basically was doing both of. Mm-hmm. The guy who ran, I don't know, you remember that band, Mice Parade at all? Uh, uh, it sounds familiar. This guy, Adam Pierce, who uh, ran our <laughs> bubble tour, and then um, also uh, was the primary guy at Fat Cat Records in the U.S. Okay. You know, Cigarose, Moom, mm-hmm. uh, Animal Um, And they, so Twilight Sad and Frank Rabbit were both on that label. And I had experienced interest you know in doing some like tour stuff and i think adam you know like to adam uh and uh you know i think he would yeah we just wanted to throw that opportunity my way but also uh, uh i'll say this he like definitely adam's a character and he definitely knew that uh he could get me for cheap at that point and uh <laughs> it's crazy like my first tour was uh with two Scottish bands and a Canadian band. And I was doing sound for both Scottish bands. Uh, one who was first and one who was headlining. Oh, wow. said. So it was just insane. Like these drive, and I was the only one who could drive in the U S because, you know, they're all Scottish. They didn't have anything um, like an international license or anything. Well, they didn't, um, they didn't want to put down their, their, uh, their uh, what do you say broadswords and shit from fucking Scotland. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they did, but I'm sure they were cool. I mean, I'm assuming the Twilight Sad guys were probably pretty pretty interesting to meet and Yeah. <laughs> Funny dynamic at that point. Like they two of the members left and like James and uh Andy are still the band and uh you know they let some people come in and out. Like uh the dude Doc who's uh um uh, one of the three members of, uh, oh my God, what's it called? Um, really, am I forgetting their name? No, of the Twilight Sad? Very popular Scottish band that, uh, you'll probably know a female singer and then Cranberries? No, I, I'm off. Band. Oh, uh, Mogwai. No, I'll think of it. This is like my classic scenario where I'm like, I don't remember and then 10 minutes later. No, it's um, so good. Uh, yeah, so it was just, just so intense and like, you know, doing like a lot of 10-hour drives on the West Coast, stuff like that. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to go back to your actual question. I um, I think it was just me wanting to like, you know, spend some time traveling and um, touring and like, I kind of felt like, if my band isn't going to have uh, the opportunities to do this extensively, because we didn't have a booking agent, we did a lot of stuff like through friends or like, um, yeah, like acquaintance bands, or there were a couple of booking agents who would help us, but they never, it's like a classic, classic, bliss, 
classic um, booking agent move where you'll sort of mysteriously help a band out for a while, but you won't actually book them. Mm. Um, which um, is, I think, partially is a way to like you know, feel the scenario out. By the way, the band was Churches. That's what I was trying to. Sure. Oh wow! Oh, I, my daughter loves it. Well, that's a. Uh... I was playing the game, was it Forza Horizon 5, and there was a Church's song in the... And so, yeah, they've been on rotation. My daughter's even like that band, so sweet. Yeah. So, you know, the, their band has seen a lot of uh, drastic lineup changes. On that tour, there was one show where, like... And so I was also, like, you know, in the role of, like, um, I, you know, uh, amateur therapist slash morallor, uh, like... There's a show in San Francisco where the drummer who was not really totally equipped to tour, I think, emotionally. Um, he missed the cue for the very first song they were playing. Um, and he freaked out and like ran off stage back to the green room. And I'm on the second floor, like the balcony, uh, doing sound. And I, I turned to the house sound guy and I was just like, I'll be back in a minute. I just had to run downstairs into the green room and like, you know, convince him to come back on stage, um, which I, you know, that's crazy. Like that's never happened to me since then. Wow. Was it just, you think it was anxiety or like, he, to go. yeah. Yeah. He had like the people hit like a mark usually around like two weeks where they're just kind of like, you know, they're either really loving it or they just want to like be, you know, in their familiar environment. And he was definitely, and he also didn't really get along with the other band members, like, super well. Um, yeah, that sucks. It was just, yeah, it was challenging. Uh, I have so many stories from all those tours, but that one specifically. <laughs> that, that, I mean, well, you had to play the, you had to play Dr. Phil and run backstage and be all like, hey, man. Um, I had to just basically say, like, point blank, if you don't play the show, we won't have enough money to get back across the country. Um, which was, like, sort of true. True enough. <laughs> true, yeah. True enough, and it worked, and it you know you got through it, and that's good. But you, uh, I think when I saw you, you were touring with War on Drugs, doing. I know True Widow was on that, and I was a huge fan of True Widow, which would have are put me in there because I remember specifically hearing them and being like, "Well, this is fucking awesome." And then just so happened you were there, so we got to hang out, have a beer, whatever. Uh, now. Was were you were you working on the their album at the time, or was it was it just again like you kind of knew the guys and they trusted you, or so? And we were playing the show as well. It was either you were playing. I, I it might not have. It might have been Kurt Vile actually. Kurt Vile in True Widow. And I, so I did sound for Kurt for quite some time too. So I don't think maybe we, I don't know. I can't remember if we ever played some shows with both of them together. We did some shows with Kurt and that Van Woods, but um, but yeah, I was probably just out uh, doing sound and probably not tour managing. Mm. That. Uh, yeah, was that in Michigan? I think it was at the Blind Pig, Ann Arbor. Yeah. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was an interesting thing because I was there, like obviously you know, it was cool enough to see you and, and see True Widow, but my brother was a huge Kurt Vile fan, and he had, um, I think the album that you worked with him on, um, Childish Prodigy? 
Yeah, that's one. That was the one that my brother was obsessed with. He would play like when I think at the time it was Lights at Sea. We would we would go do jaunts across the state or whatever out of state, and he was always playing that record. And I was like, and it, it I had no idea. It, it it was even your friend, and I had no idea. I was like, oh, um, I, this is this is good. Sh- this is good shit. And then and and then find come to find out you were involved, and I was like, well. Small fucking yeah. world. Um, I mean, so much Philly stuff. I was I was pretty pretty deep in the cut with. Yeah. Uh, so makes sense, um, but that's funny. Yeah. So with with uh, with recording and stuff, was it something that you by doing things with relay and say arc and round that you just kind of expanded from there, or did it just? In terms of like recording other projects yeah yeah yeah. uh i think you know i I honestly started recording other bands like as soon as i got uh an eight track real real and like i knew at that point even that i wanted to work with other people and like record their music as well and like produce or whatever um so there was this band i live in boston with like nine people at that point in this house that was falling apart uh it's like you know classic post-college move Mm -hmm. And uh, so we uh, recorded a lot. They had this band called Fashion Cult, not okay. Cult. And uh, that was the first band I ever recorded. And we did that all uh, eight track, real to real. And I remember at the time I had just gotten my first compressor, and I just like completely destroyed the drums. They sounded like popcorn popping, <laughs> just for me not knowing how to use the thing. Um, but you know, live and learn. Um, so yeah, from from day one, I, I kind of. Uh, had that in mind. And then when I moved to Philly, I met um, Don DeVore, who uh, kind of the, I guess you could call him like the musical director for the Willies, who aren't like super active at this point, but they are playing some. Um, and Don is like, you know, kind of the one who's been coordinating everything. Um, and they're actually playing two shows in Philly pretty soon on New oh, Year's Eve. Nice. Any mm-hmm. Philly listeners, go go to that show. Go to the show. Yeah, it's probably going to sell out soon, I would imagine. Um, and my friend Dash and I are going to, uh, uh, we're playing the first show, which would be a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, but it, all right. So Don uh, was just kind of like, you know, I didn't know him at all. And I was like, but I knew he, he had like a long, you know, list of stuff he's worked on. And like, it's, it's just like, so to this day, like, you know, just like, I'd never seen somebody that motivated, um, you know, and like have such a like weird fractured, uh, but thick vision. Um, so yeah, we started working together and I was like building the studio and, um, you know, it just kind of went from there. Like in Philly, it was like projects started coming to me, but mostly because I had recorded the swirlies back when I was in Boston. Um, That's a sick band. Yeah, they're one of my favorite bands of all the time. Yeah. They're actually probably I started getting into recording at all. Um, like the Salons album. The, mm-hmm. the well, it's because um, of you I got into broadcast. That's great. Yeah. Another mm-hmm. wonderful band. Well, um, I, and I would, I think also when you guys played, didn't we, you might have come back another time or maybe it was because we had the guy that was from U.S. Maple who was in... 
Invisible Hands, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yep. I don't know where that show was. I can't remember. Oh, it was a house show, actually. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we had a uh, we had our local two piece friends between brains. I think was at the time really good guys. Like both one of the guys is like a bartender slash drink maker extraordinaire now in the city, and he's doing great. He's one of the best drummers I know. It's weird how like some of the best musicians on the planet just kind of roll off into like do something else completely non music related and thrive, and that's great. But I miss them playing the drums or, you know, noodling on guitars. But it happens. Life happens. We all adapt. So. True. Um, yeah, so the Swirlies thing was like an automatic entry point for uh, for me into recording in Philly just because, I mean, you know, everyone in Philly, there were some bands that were like really widely uh, held in like high regard in the scene, quote unquote. And it was like uh, roller skate skinny was like weirdly very popular in Philadelphia, which like no one really knows about them for the most part. It was Jimmy Shields, Kevin Shields, little brother's band. Oh Jesus! Great, actually. Horse Drawn Wishes is the one to check out. Okay, right on. Also, all like big Swirlies fans, you know. So that was just like it. Uh, it was a good seal of approval to move here with. Um, you know, people were willing to like you know, test the waters and work with me. And I still didn't know what I was doing really at all, but that's, you know, that, uh, make it until you make it or whatever is, uh, <laughs> really pretty accurate. Well, I mean, you do, uh, that's, that's true. I mean, like, uh, what is it? 80% of it is just showing up at the end of the day. So, you know, fucking just show up and press the buttons and, you know, start screaming at people, be like, hey, fucking tune your bass or whatever, or don't tune it, because that's what Sonic Youth does or something. I don't know. But um, that's awesome. So you basically, you kind of, ha- you ca- essentially, you know, you know some people who had some, some, some say or, or, or were doing some things, and, and you just kind of trialed and narrated it a little bit. But, I mean, I'm looking at your video screen right now, and it looks like you got quite a bit of equipment you've accrued over through the years and such. Yeah. Was it is – there, is there anything, like, with, with, with the recording that, like, as far as, as like, a setup, like – what was like the first the first couple things that you started using quite a bit or messing around with that you've kind of found your like I, I guess you found your way into like doing tracking and mixing and all that sort of stuff? Sure, I think like um, probably the first like sort of professional machine. Like, I mean, what's professional? It could be anything, but it was like a Tascam TSR8, which is like a uh, half inch eight track that sounds really good they're great sounding machines and they're built really well and so i got one of those uh i think right before i moved to philly and uh so that was just great and it was just such a workhorse too because i'd be working on my own and like constantly like you know fast forwarding rewinding play just like um you know really kind of hammering the thing and, and it was always really uh reliable um so I would say like that machine, uh, doing things to eight track and, uh, pretty early on, I kind of lucked into, uh, 
a microphone that uh, I still like to this day is one of the, the my favorites is the Neumann KM84, um, which is an older mic. They typically use a lot for small diaphragm condenser. Uh, used a lot for like uh, orchestral recordings. Oh, nice. Spring recordings, or I mean, they're pretty broad. You can use them for a lot of things, but they were used a lot for that and like say you know uh, Nashville, this uh, guitar, banjo, etc. Just really natural sounding but flattering microphones. Mm-hmm. I just could kind of like that was back in the uh, back in the days before they would spell correct uh, your searches. Mm. Neumann intentionally and uh, found uh, a pair of KM84s for sale for you know like six hundred dollars or something. And these oh, are wow. microphones for about two grand a piece. Um, even then, they were probably like twelve hundred or something. Um, and I was just like, holy shit! And uh, so I bought them and uh, sold one and kept the other one, and it just became such a huge part of everything I did um, because it just had like, there's certain things that just have this like uh, kind of indescribable sort of magic to them. And that microphone, I think it was the first time I ever really heard that. And it's like, Oh wow. You know, there's this like depth and like sheen um, that you can get out of certain things that really isn't that common. Um, so yeah, that microphone I used the shit out of. And uh, that was like my drum microphone, like main drum microphone for like, probably 10 years Wow. Uh, for overheads or like, I would just try, always try to make it the microphone that caught the most of all the drums when I was recording and use that as like the basis for, you know, so that would be like the foundation of the whole record on a lot of stuff. Now um, you, and- you, so, so you, you kind of went with microphones there for a minute. Now with, with, as far as amps, like I know you have a killer guitar sound on the stuff that you've done guitars for. Do you, do you have like a, a rig that you go, like is a go-to for say effects or just like guitars as far as like how you like your guitars to sound? Uh, it kind of, it changes, you know, over time, but I'd say the one mainstay is a, uh, like a 68 uh, Fender Bassman that I've had since I lived like 20 years. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I have had it since I lived uh, in my first Philly proper place. Uh, it was the loft that I had is built a studio in. Um, so it's, it's a 68 Bassman with a uh, original cabinet that I ended up selling. Like, I don't know if you know those amps, but the cabinet for those is two twelves, mm-hmm. but it's like, like chest high. Oh, wow. um, for reason other than because it sounds good, you know. So I ended up selling that because I wanted to like be able to use the amp live, blah blah. blah. Um, and that the cabinet is just not practical. So yeah, the um, the sixty-eight basement with the stock. Uh, I believe the speakers are. They're great speakers. Whatever they. <laughs> They, um, yeah, so it's, it's just a great sounding amp. Um, and that's been like, you know, like uh, that band Nothing when we recorded that was the primary sound for uh, most of that record. And, you know, it's nice to have an amp that has a little bit of headroom if you're going to be using a lot of effects. Yeah. Especially like crank distortions, etc. So, I mean, it's like, you know, blisteringly loud, uh, but it's still, you know, 
it's it's kind of worth it um, if you can do that. And then also, I guess on the flip side, the other amps I used a lot were, or and still do, um, I had an older Vox AC15 when they were made by Marshall um, that was phenomenal. Uh, it got, there was a flood in my studio and it was upside down on the floor and uh, it didn't make it. <laughs> Aww. I keep the speaker. It's a selection blue, which made a big difference. So, yeah, it lives lives on in uh, an MPEG Gemini, which are also totally underrated, amazing apps for like anything. Now, it's, when I when I saw you, you were playing like a I think it was like a semi hollow body guitar at the time. Do you still play on that style, or do you kind of alternate or? Kind of alternate. I honestly haven't been playing. I actually just started playing guitar again. I had it really for like a couple years, um, and I bought an ES three thirty five, like a, a oh. Gibson. Yeah, like a Gibson Studio twenty thirteen. Uh, it's oh, I just recently bought it, and it's just like it's just insanely nice. Yeah, I also you know I have like kind of like sort of fingers that are a little not, yeah like chubby fingers or something. The point where like playing like an open A chord on like the you know the base of the neck is just like not comfortable on some guitars. Yeah. And like whole body a moss rate, it's amazing, but you know, I just like kinda can't play it. And I was like really wanting a hollow body that I could just, you know, sort of relearn. I bought it like a Smith's uh song songbook. There you go. Johnny Moore's amazing. And uh Yes. Yeah, so when when I, the most I was playing was generally on uh, my old, my jazz master. It was like a Japanese jazz master from the mid nineties. Um, I would say, or yeah, like a, a varying group of uh, semi hollow bodies, like a, I guess a casino, but I think that's full hollow body, and then a three uh, Sheridan, mm-hmm. which is that guitar. Um, yeah, so yeah, I kind of alternate. Nice. That's awesome. Now, as far as like tunings, do you just go standard or do you mess around with any like open tunings? Where, uh, do, where do you like to write in? At this point, I uh, use, uh, I think it's open D, it's like D A D, F sharp A D. Mm-hmm. The tuning that all the relay stuff and a lot of the arc and round stuff is in is uh, like E A D, G sharp, C sharp E, which mm. is this thing, but like, oh. You know, a step. Um, and standard, like, you know, I really honestly wish I used it more at earlier points. I've kind of like, in like backwards, I've like been drawn to standard tuning now, where I'm just kind of like, you know, seeing what, what is, uh, seeing what's out there. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. I, I started messing with like a, my, uh, the singer for my band right now has a baritone. And so I was messing with that. And it, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the metal part of me when I was growing up in high school was like, yeah, I want to be fucking the Melvins and, and all this stuff. And I, you know, immediately assumed I had to tune to a, and then it was like, no, not really. I mean, you can kind of do that. You can, you can find little things and like what well, the way pedals are with octave pedals and shit like that and different things. I mean, yeah, possibilities are endless, but it's it's always fun to 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 mess with that. But I agree, like sometimes it's just like you you get your guitar in standard tuning, and you're like, well, this is a lot easier <laughs> than I was making it. But you know, you you 
there is some of that love of like the dissonant kind of experimentation that you can get from say different types of tunings and things like that. What were your bands growing up? Like when you were in like, I guess college or that era. High school, like it's kind of like carried over from, I lived in like kind of the middle of nowhere. So I like found a lot of the music that I I liked through uh, like skate cover or skate videos and Mm -hmm. uh, album covers, you know? So like there's a place uh, near me that had like this like section of like uh, mystical like uh, independent quote unquote cassettes, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Even though it was like Evolve by Sonic Youth, I got mm-hmm. that strictly the cover, and um, and that's still one of my favorite records. Um, that's and, like, awesome. Locus Abortion Technician mm. was also that's still one of my favorites. But yeah, at that point, like it was mostly like. Joy Division, The Smiths, My Bloody Valentine. Although uh, I was a bigger Sebado fan than I, I care to admit, but uh, <laughs> that's yeah, good, I, man. They had their, yeah, totally. They had their moments. I would say Eric Gaffney was the best part of that. Band. I, um, I I will say that you you would get you would you would be very you would be very uh proud of my oldest daughter she's 15 now and she owns every smith's record which isn't a ton but still she's on the right path and i took her to see the cure this summer which i guess the twilight sad was opening so uh you know small world again but it, it was amazing she says the cure the cure is her second favorite band of all time the smiths will never be topped according to her so that rules yeah the smiths mm-hmm. are all my I get you. So, so, okay. So those were your bands. And then, um, we talked about your gear. Now, what are you, what, what, what kinds of things are you up to nowadays? I know you're, you're, you've, you've got a, and I'll link this in the description if anyone's curious to the uniform recording website, but as far as like stuff that you got going on in the future and the docket, I know you said you, you started picking up guitar and tinkering, tinkering around. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've started playing guitar a bit more and like kind of curious to see where that goes. I kind of, I'm somewhat resistant to the idea of writing uh, many songs again, so I'm just kind of seeing how I can integrate it into uh, like more of the, I've, I've been doing a lot of synth stuff, like a lot of modular, um, but I got into over the last few years. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, a whole world that I kind of was a little uh, uh, apprehensive about uh, being a part of, but once I started, I was like, okay, I get it. And, uh, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's limitless, um, for better or worse. Um, so yeah. So like on a personal level, like been doing a ton of modular stuff and then, uh, also been kind of writing like, uh, instrumental hip hop stuff for, uh, a couple people and we'll hopefully, hopefully be collaborating on it soon. Um, and, uh, my friend dash, I don't know. I'll send you a link to the, uh, the record Dash and I just did, I think it's up your alley. But, totally. you know, like, yeah, you know, my friend Dash Lewis, who performs as Gardner, um, he's incredible. Uh, and so we, we've been working on a second record. Um, and then in terms of the studio, I guess, uh, that's a good question. I can't, I don't really have like a um, ton of stuff on the docket that I'm not already working on. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. Um, yeah. 
is it now you do you usually take bookings through your like do people contact you through the website or do you do you get a lot of people locally or internationally? I know you said I, I I'm I'm trying to remember just off the top of my head. Obviously, Kurt Vile and War on Drugs and nothing, and um, you've you've worked pretty predominantly in the area. Is there? Do you get a lot of emails? They do you kind of have to fashion like your studio time out like months in advance, or it really depends. I mean, like. You know, say when uh, uh, Lost in the Dream came out, which is the last War on Drugs record that I worked on, like, you know, very, very heavily. Um, you know, I was, like, flooded constantly. And I, I was, like, kind of overcommitting myself and booking about like, six months out, maybe. Yeah. And stabilized, I think, after that. Um, you know, so I'd say at this point, it's usually, like, a couple months out. Um and it's, I mean, you know, it's a nice way to have it, honestly. It can get a little overwhelming. Um, but yeah, and like one of the records I'm working on right now is with a, a French band, um, with a French shoegaze band. Uh, and that's really cool. Um, what are they called? Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's a French word, uh, Sacre Bleu, I think. Uh. <laughs> Alfsenberg or something. Okay, right on. No, I love the French and I love shoegaze, so I'm sure I'll dig it. But um, no, that's awesome, man. I, what do you do? What do you? I, I mean, we can talk about music for days, but like, what do you like to do to blow off steam? Uh, you know, that's a great question. Um, Candy Crush. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't get over it. Yeah, I, I know, man. It's a it's a money pit. Is. Um, you know, I like there are a lot of uh, films I, I go through. Uh, I spend a lot of time, um, you know, sort of like trying to broaden my uh, film horizons, uh, hanging out with friends, you know, oh, going totally. to shows. Good. Would um, you ever do like a film soundtrack? I feel like you'd be perfect for that. Thanks. Yeah, I've, uh, I've done like, like a couple shorts before and I weirdly. I don't know if you know uh, uh, Good Mythical Morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, a friend of the show is a huge fan. Loves that. Yeah, I did the theme song for... Uh, I'm not sure what season it started. Maybe season three? Mm. They were like... I, I was friends with one of the people who um, you know, worked for them, and they were like, well, we're trying to find something that's like, kind of like Boards of Canada meets Stereo Lab meets blah, blah, blah. And, uh, You're like, I like, shit that out for breakfast, brother. All right. Right. So, um, yeah, my friend, uh, Feldman was like, he's like, okay, I know a guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was great. Uh, and then I've done a, a few, like, you know, short film tours, but I, I'd love to do more, you know, mm-hmm. but, like a, when it's like pretty collaborative, you know, with the, with the director, it's, uh, it's like it's definitely more uh, enjoyable, you know, when you can kind of stretch out a little bit because that oh. process is pretty intense, uh, even at the level that I've worked on it. When you said you mentioned that you like to like to watch films, do you have any current favorites, stuff that you've been binging or shows or anything like that? Um, probably the last film I saw that I was like kind of blown away by was uh, 
Lajete. I don't know if you know that one yet. No, no, no. Hour long. It's not even like uh, like proper quote unquote uh, full length film, but uh, it was uh, made in like the late sixties. And the thing that I didn't even really uh, digest when I first saw it is that the whole film is uh, composed of still shots by the director. Mm. So, in the film, is just different stills, which uh, is surprisingly fluid. And like the, you know, the way that the, I don't know, the narration works and the way that everything is just, Put together is just like it's really striking like i've never seen anything like it and it's really forward-thinking like sort of dystopian uh film uh especially for that time period it's it's kind of groundbreaking um i so that, i yeah. you you said it was la jete like l-a-j-e-t-e-e okay all right i just wanted to make sure keep going sorry i didn't mean to um trying to think what else i saw lately that i've really was into um the new uh brandon cronenberg film i can't remember the name offhand possessor uh there's one after that actually which oh, is oh, awesome oh 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 the one with mia goth in it um infinity, I, pool. infinity pool yeah, yeah, yeah i was gonna say fountain for some reason but you know you're right infinity pool I love cronenberg i'm a huge 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 david cronenberg fan and uh well, this this last uh, Halloween, every I, Halloween's year round for me because I watch a ton of hor- old horror and whatever. But um, specifically, Cronenberg is so fascinating to me as a filmmaker because there's this really great interview if you find it on YouTube where it's him, Brian De Palma, and uh, John Carpenter, and they're all sitting there, and it's like uh, they're they're having like a, almost like a horror movie summit where they're just talking about horror in general and like the cusp of the eighties and like the impact that Halloween had scanners had and Carrie had, and they're discussing just kind of like how they approach horror and how different it is. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me specifically, and it's insane to me, but yet not, I mean, it's like you saying Kevin Shields brother had a awesome band. I'm sure in some ways it's the same like genetics things, the way that these tastes and like things will get passed on. But Cronenberg specifically is so fascinating to me because he never, I mean, other than say the fly being like a big success, uh, he never really had his, his Halloween per se, or his, um, uh, you know, carry per se. He had like a big hit, but it wasn't, his his career has been so interest, interesting to me, and I almost would say Cronenberg has had more better films or even more prescient films as far as movies that have lasted in some instance. I mean, that's all debatable, and like there's certain movies that I think Carpenter excels in, and I, I think The Thing is the best horror movie of all time, but that's just me. I love Kurt Russell, and I can't get over Wilford Brimley freaking out. So that's that's just what I like. And <laughs> getting young Keith David, but uh, but anyway, um, so you you mentioned that Infinity Pool, and that's that's a rel- relatively recent. I think you can probably rent that one on online or whatever. Actually, free on some streaming. I don't remember which. Maybe mm. Canopy. Um, another one that I'm speaking of De Palma. I recently saw 
uh, sisters. I don't know if you know that one. Mm-mm. It's fucking crazy. It's like just so unhinged and uh, and really strange and just really uh, effective. It's just like it has this. I don't know, just this vibe that's really intense. That it just it stuck with me. Like it's just a feeling, you know, from you'll get from certain things, and it just stuck with me with that. Another one, uh, I'll make this last one, is uh, oh. Possession. I don't know if you know Possession. Uh, the Lewowski film. That's uh, the one with Sam Neill, right? Yeah. yeah, it was like 1982. It's like the year I was born. He, Sam Neill's looking like a piece of candy in that. And the girl, I can't think of her. She won. She got nominated for that movie. I just watched that like a year ago for the first time because they, they showed it. I think locally at our, our, uh, our, we have like a Grand Rapids Film Society and they, they try to put out like really good movies uh, at our local theater. And yeah, that, holy shit, that movie. <laughs> and it's so fucked up. Yeah. Um, it's, if you're going through a breakup, that's a rough one. And, and considering I, I'm, well, you know, full disclosure, it, it, it hasn't been the best couple months for this guy but and i'm sure you've been through it too it's it's not it's not fun and that's that might be a rough one maybe trigger warning to anybody who's going through a breakup if you want to watch this movie but it's 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 rough or giving birth to a baby (laughs) (laughs) or if you've got a thing about dairy products milk i don't know like body horror stuff like that um i'd say that was uh it's way up there um such an incredible film. And Sam Neill, like, I kind of, like, always forget, you know, how fucking good he is. Yeah, I always am like, what? what is this guy doing? I thought he was supposed to be looking for dinosaur bones. What is he doing in other movies? Or And, and he's aged really well. Like, that's part of the thing about watching those, those old movies is that, like, holy shit, like, the... Um, these guys, like... I, I, I think it was there was a retrospective or a documentary about The Exorcist recently. R.I.P. William Friedkin, also amazing director, um, and they were talking about Max von Sydow in that movie. He's like forty four, and he's playing like this aged the aged priest who comes in, you know, with the hail mary at the end to try to save little Reagan. And it's crazy to look at that and that age makeup is so good you have no idea that like he's get basically going to be that age for the next 40 years in film but yet he looks you know great as this old man but he's only what like 44 like i said in the movie which now is now as i get older i just keep thinking like no 60s the new 40 i'm i'm young i'm still young i can still do shit i can still eat taco bell at three in the morning you're like 32 <laughs> so Although I didn't do the math on how old you actually are, uh, so you're probably like 34. Me? You said. Uh, I, I'm I'm getting up there, man. I'm 41 now. There you go. Yeah. Well, you don't look a day over 34. <laughs> Thanks, my dude. That's what we like to hear on this podcast. You look great too, man. Um, yeah. I. I think you're doing. I, I'm. I'm. I'm your one of your biggest fans. I want you to do another Ark and Round record or something. I need more shoegaze and guitars and jangles and vocals. I love that stuff from you, man. That that I, I still play those songs. In fact, I'm going to end this episode with one of those songs because I think they 
fucking rules. Every time I played your stuff for my local musician friends up here in good old Michigan, they were just like, damn, this band fucking rules. Um, so if you haven't, I highly recommend you check it out. Any, anything, um, well, I guess we'll wrap this up. Anything as far as, is, uh, your, uh, things, things, uh, I don't know, musically that you're into that you think people should check out or advice. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. Um, uh, yeah, but um, let's see. Death's Dynamic Shroud. Do you know them? No. Found them recently, and uh, uh, there's like a this one track, "Love Is Easy," that's just incredible. Um, there's a Dome. I don't know if you know Dome. That's a couple of the guys from um, Wire when they had like a when they disbanded for a minute. Uh, started that. Um, that's pretty incredible. I've been uh, like kind of obsessed with uh, Two Tissue from uh, Suburban Lawns. Oh, okay. So, uh, it's. I mean, it's nothing like. I like Suburban Lawns, but it's nothing at all like them. Okay. Like Harry Riley or something. Um, and I think it's only on YouTube. I haven't found it anywhere else. Oh, uh, interesting. Supposedly, like just, you know has disappeared she's off the map so they no one can reissue it mm. um i should put the heavy with you i didn't even think of that yeah anyway <laughs> um yeah uh john bender um was from detroit michigan actually oh um, shit represent incredible uh my dog is standing on his hind legs right now <laughs> <laughs> he wants he wants to start a band with you it's like, hey, man, you guys are talking about guitars. I'm ready. just lost you, by the way. Oh, you did? I'm right here. You hear me? I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I just can't see. Oh. Well, that happens. <laughs> Shit, man. Well, I have your audio coming through still. Um, I, think what you, I think what you alluded to there was good and... Uh, all the all the all the stuff we talked about like definitely i mean obviously uniform recording at gmail.com if you want to email them check them out on the website linked in the description uh jeff you're a man i look up to and i appreciate you taking the time coming on and and, and discussing the haps and a little bit of the history this series is kind of like i i've been interviewing uh some musicians locally, but also talking to some, some far and wide, my buddy, John out in Portland and now you in Philly. And, um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you do, man. And it's, like I said, it, it, it I was a huge fan of relay and arc and round. And, uh, you were very, very, very cool dude to, to sit and to talk about movies and music with for real. Uh, but uh, I wish you all the best, my man, and uh, thank you for coming on, and uh, hopefully we will uh, talk again sometime soon. I'll send you some links to some stuff. Totally, totally. I, uh, I'd, love, I'd love to hear anything you have and anything you have going on. Recording stopped. Sorry, I stopped the video there, but go ahead. Stop it. Uh, no, it's still Valley? recording. You know the Valley Exit record? Mm-mm. So I made like a kind of a solo record. It's just like just me and a couple of different drummers. Oh, wow. Um, I'll send you. It's on Bandcamp. 
Oh, uh, so it was. Uh, see, because I knew I knew that you had had a. Um, I knew that you had a. I knew that you had a project with another person at one point. I was listening to like a. It was a female that was like a. I think it was like a like a almost like an ambient kind of vibe, but I could be getting that wrong. I'm not sure. There's a well. So was she a violin player? No. Oh fuck. The cellist. I don't think we have anything. Um, well, I'll send you some links to like you know this project Inlets that was really pretty cool. We did a cover of Fred Rabbit song. Uh, for a compilation they did after Scott passed. And, um, yeah, the thing with myself and Dash and then the Valiax and stuff, which is actually, you'll get your wish. (laughs) Sweet! It's like I just did it. It's like, yes, here we go. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, no, I've always, I've always, like, again, like, I've, I mean, like you, I listen to, tons and tons and tons and tons of music and only got more more scattered and wide as like the internet became more of a thing like between Bandcamp, YouTube, uh, Spotify. I've got so many different bands I listen to almost weekly now and um yeah, you're you're one of the few musicians that like musically like I really looked up to right off the bat and especially during a time where i was like you know what i'm getting out of the service i'm starting a band i'm 25 i'll i'll figure this shit out i'll find a good guitar that's the move you know well you find you find that you find a couple musicians who you can handle being in a van with and playing like shitty shows with and like you have like your own set of humor kind of way to communicate and all that sort of shit and yeah, yeah, you end up having lifelong friends. Do you do you keep in touch with the the, the drummer guy? Because I know he was like on tour with like Mastodon and or something like that. Oh, Matt, I keep thinking Gerard. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he lives with one of my like closest friends who actually plays on that Valley Exit record, uh, Josh Meekum. But he'd probably like he's got this project called Fantastic Imagination. That's uh, really pretty great. But yeah, so Matt is a. Uh, Matt has been touring with uh, a couple different bands. Uh, he was out with he was, he was out with that band Algiers some, and he's been out with uh, a couple other bands. Um, but yeah, so he's mostly touring. Is he is he just doing sound, or is he touring like musician or touring like manager? Or no, here's a crazy thing. He. Uh, the Future Islands drummer, I think, got COVID right before a festival, and he does sound for Future Islands. And uh, Matt learned uh, all the Future Islands songs off the set, like you know, the day before or something, and ended up drumming for them for that festival. It's wow. like a it's like a feel good movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the 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 sound guy who who learns all the vocal parts and then gets up there and he takes over for van halen or some shit like that it's crazy but that's awesome i mean he's an awesome guy so like at least you know the times that i hung out with him he was super super friendly um but yeah that's awesome like i'm 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 one of those guys like i 
I, I don't know if it's prevalent in your community, but it seems like some, some people can get butt hurt by people doing things. But like for me, I love, I fucking cheer on my friends. I'm happy to see people working with cool people and having cool experiences. I mean, it just gives us more to fucking shoot the shit about. So personally, you know, for me, it's, it's just a, it's cool. It's, you know, my brother, um, he was, I think he was in Frank Booth when we played with Ark and Round, and now he's playing, like, doing awesome stuff with, with his band. And, like, it, you know, everybody that I've locally who I've stayed in touch with, like, I, I don't know, it it seems like for the most part, like, the good people sent, tend to continue to, to work, whether it's, you know, we all face some sort of adversity in life and go through hard, hard shit. You know, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, let's, let's all just try to fucking smile here, folks. Let's, <laughs> you know, but it's good to, it, it's good to see you, man. And I'm glad we were able to make this work. And, uh, yeah, I, next year, hopefully maybe end of the year, we'll, 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 I'll see if I can't get, uh, my band, uh, Glassfield out that way. Maybe we can, we can tinker around down in Philly. That would be a blast. Totally. All right, brother, send me some links and uh, I will post this episode later, probably, probably around midnight ish. Okay. Awesome. All right, brother. Have a good night. Take care. You too. Later.
This has been a presentation of Beer City Media.